Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. Mother's Day is on Sunday. You know this, I know this, but I am saying it into this microphone to have it on the record so I don't forget to call my mom. Mother's Day, Sunday, call her. Someone please hold me accountable to this. For inspiration, we've got two mom-related books for you today. In a bit, we've got an old conversation from 1989 with Amy Tan, author of the novel The Joy Luck Club. It's a fascinating interview that was recorded before the movie came out and turned the book into a smashing hit. And it gets into a lot of what Amy Tan was thinking about when she was writing the book. But first, an interview for the moms in your life that are too hard on themselves. The comedian Glenn Buzan has this new book out called There Are Moms Way Worse Than You, highlighting moms from across the animal kingdom who do uh, (laughs) pretty gnarly things to their kids. She has this delightful talk with here and now Celeste Headley that's the perfect antidote to feeling like you are permanently screwing up your kid. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Dive into the chilling new Hulu original series, Under the Bridge, the riveting adaptation of the acclaimed true crime book. Based on shocking true events, Under the Bridge tells the haunting story of a murder that lays bare a small community's darkest secrets. Go deep into the hidden world of the town's tormented teenagers as detectives race to solve the sinister crime. Starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone, Under the Bridge is now streaming with new episodes Wednesdays, only on Hulu. Ah, the satisfying sounds of more sales in your business. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. But you shouldn't have to pay more to scale your business. With Stamps.com, you can import orders from wherever you sell online, find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times, and instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers and stock up on supplies. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale. If you're a mom or know a mom, you probably know the job often comes with a lot of self-doubt. Everybody has an opinion about how you could be doing better. Products are marketed to you by raising fears that you're harming your children. And questions about how to be a good mom are all over the media and the blogs and social media. So maybe the success of a new book by comedy writer Glenn Buzan shouldn't come as a surprise. It's called There Are Moms Way Worse Than You. It came out at the end of March and just debuted as one of Amazon's top 10 bestsellers. Glenn Buzan joins me to talk about the book. Welcome. Hi, Celeste. Thank you for having me. So there has to be a story about how you got the idea for this book, right? (laughs) There is. Also, first of all, great intro. Can I steal that for when I describe my book? That was fantastic. (laughs) It's not even Um, theft if you have permission. About a year or so ago, I was hanging out with my sister and my niece, who was around two at the time. And my sister was pregnant with her second. And my sister is the perfect mother. She was born to be a mother. And yet she was expressing to me these fears about being a bad mom. She kept saying, oh, I wonder if I'm socializing Maddie enough. I wonder if I'm feeding her the right foods. And when I tell you my sister is a good mom, my niece's favorite activity is reading and her favorite food is radishes. So (laughs) she she is a great mother. I'm not a parent myself, so I didn't really know how to comfort her as, you know, a fellow mom would. 
what I wish I had said was some beautiful quote about motherhood or, you know, a generational love and blah, blah, blah. But, but I'm a comedian and sort of a dummy. And so I, so I just said, well, hamster moms eat their babies. So well, I don't know. At least you're not doing that. Did this comfort um, her? It did a little bit, and she laughed. And in that moment, I thought, oh, this is what I can do to sort of make her feel better. So you began to collect stories of animal mothers who did horrifying things to their children. And at what, <laughs> yes. co- at what point did it become a book? <laughs> yes, so it started off as a Mother's Day poem for my sister. I was just going to give it to her, and she was the only person who was going to see it. And then I was asking around for illustrators, and my uh, manager... And his wife read it and they went, wait a minute, wait a minute. This resonates with us as parents. We should make this into a book. And I thought, oh, okay. So what originally started as just a card for my sister turned into this book that I wanted to still keep it a surprise for her. So she ended up not seeing it (laughs) until a year and a half later (laughs) because I wanted to surprise her. Well, it's a pretty good secret keeper you are. I know. I was dying. Whenever we hung out, I was like, don't say anything, don't say anything. So, um, yeah, I kept a secret for about a year and a half because you know, books take a while to uh, become books. <laughs> so. Okay, so on the cover, it, it's, it's just an iconic cover. It has <laughs> Thank you. a giraffe mom kicking her baby. Um, <laughs> and Correct. I thought, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Giraffes obviously... <laughs> Obviously, don't kick their babies. But then, oh, of Celeste. course, I know I read many <laughs> tales. One from Wild Trails was so poetic in saying she lifts her long legs and kicks the baby giraffe, <laughs> sending it flying up in the air and tumbling on the ground. And as the baby lies curled up, the mother kicks the baby again. Like, you're not kidding. <laughs> I'm really not. I was stunned when I did the research for a lot of these animal mothers. They're horrible. <laughs> yeah, just awful. <laughs> yes. And you keep reminding us of those kind of things. There's another one where you say an eagle mom believes in survival for the strong. She'll let her eaglets fight to the death. How wrong. Um, yes. What, what were some of your favorite tidbits that you found? I really like the cuckoo bird mom. She's what's called a parasite brooder, I think is the name for it, which means she will lay an egg in another bird's nest and just leave it for that other bird to raise it. <laughs> right. It's the equivalent of walking your kid next door and hoping they don't realize you're raising, they're raising another child. Exactly. And I just thought that was such a power move and I really respect <laughs> it. So writing books is not something that you do. <laughs> you are not a comedy usually. writer. <laughs> yeah, uh, you've worked usually. with Conan O'Brien and with Sarah Silverman. They, in fact, were both quoted in the Amazon reviews. Mm-hmm. Were you a little nervous about taking on a book project? A little bit, because when you say you're an author, people assume you wrote a big, wonderful novel. And so I have to go, oh, no, no, I'm not, I'm not a real author. <laughs> I wrote a tiny joke book. I'm not a James Joyce. I'm not a Mary Shelley. <laughs> so I did feel a little nervous having to say I'm an author. But what was it like to work with an illustrator? Because that's a partnership that you have to curate. You have to, you know, nurture it. I got so lucky in the illustrator department. Um, Priscilla is the illustrator, Priscilla Witte, and she is also super funny herself, which was, again, I got so lucky. She thought of a lot of the visuals for the book as well. 
So the title obviously refers to moms, but you also write, and I'm going to quote you here, it's not just moms. Some dads suck too. They're not all warm and <laughs> snuggly. A pipefish dad will eat his kids if he thinks they're ugly. <laughs> so I assume that any parent of any gender stripe style can read this and just insert their own identifier in here. Absolutely. Being a bad parent is devoid of class or race or gender. Anyone can be a bad parent, which is the beautiful thing about parenthood. <laughs> and the beauty of this concept is that you can now start on aunts and uncles. Um, yes. <laughs> grandparents, you can just move your way through the entire family tree. The concept of animals having grandparents actually makes me laugh on its own. That's very funny. Oh, well, you're going to enjoy that research. Um, <laughs> no spoilers yes. there. Um, but I have to ask you, when your sister finally read the book, what mm -hmm. did she think? I'm happy to report she laughed and teared up a little bit. She was very oh. – <laughs> and also she was like, how did you keep this from me for so long? And I, and I, I said, I'm impressed it was hard. <laughs> yeah, it was very hard for me. It's interesting because this book, I will say – um, there are moms way worse than you by the title is a book for moms who have a sense of humor and my sister has the best sense of humor. So she appreciated it and she read it and she laughed and she was, saw her name in the dedication and she went, Oh my gosh, that's me. <laughs> so did your, your niece also read it? So the book looks like a children's book sort of, but it's not for kids. Yeah. The kids for just sure. end up reading it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so my sister did read it to my niece, Maddie, and um, she read her the part about – there's a, an animal in here, the koala mom, who famously the first solid meal that she feeds her koala babies is her own poop. Can I say yeah, that? Let, on, me, let, me read, let me read the line from the book. For dinner, a koala mom will feed her kids her poop. Remember that when you give yours fast food. Okay, continue. Yes. <laughs> um, she read my niece, my three-year-old niece – the part about a koala mom feeding her kids her poop. And my niece was like, mom, you don't do that to me. <laughs> and my sister was like, yeah, correct. And she goes, you're a good mommy. <laughs> and also poop cute? is an objectively funny word. <laughs> I know. And also she just then, my niece is three years old. So she then just took the opportunity and ran with it and just kept saying poop over and over again for like <laughs> 30 course. minutes. So it was very funny for all. Yeah, I support that. Um, <laughs> any ideas why your book has hit such a nerve? I think it's because, and I don't like that this is the fact, but I think it's because there's so much pressure in the world today, sort of like you were saying in the beginning, how everyone's trying to sell you something to make you a better mom, or everyone is judging other moms and dads to make themselves feel better. And because it's maybe one of the most important things you can do as a human, you know, raising another human. It's so important to get it right. And that's, I think, why people take it so seriously and they take it to heart. And so with that comes a lot of self-judgment and a lot of shame. So unfortunately, because there's a lot of shame surrounding parenthood, I think that's why the book resonates, which was my, if, if one mom feels better about herself after reading a silly little joke book that I wrote. I am thrilled. <laughs> so, Well, my son's 23 and the book still brought me some comfort. Uh, oh, so thank you. <laughs> Celeste, that honestly, I love when moms who have grown kids read it and they go, ah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <Because> <laughs> that's my favorite. 
It's all a compromise. Uh, yeah. Glenn Puzan's book is called There Are Moms Way Worse Than You, Irrefutable Proof That You Are Indeed a Fantastic Parent. Glenn, thank you so much. Thank you, Celeste. This was so fun. Support for NPR and the following message come from the American Cancer Society. Dr. Alpa Patel leads a team that researches cancer risk factors, and she shares how her team makes an impact. We always do what we like to think of as actionable science. So the work that we do makes its way to things like nutrition and physical activity guidelines for cancer.org, where millions of people come each year to learn about how they can better prevent cancer. To learn more, go to cancer.org. There's a part in this interview between Amy Tan and NPR's Lynn Neary that absolutely gutted me as the kid of immigrants. Tan talks about this tendency she felt to view any disagreements with her Chinese mother as cultural, that the friction between them was because her mom was old school Chinese. But what it really was was that she was simply her mother. When writer Amy Tan's mother first warned her about the dangers of kissing boys, she spun a tale of terrible consequences, which ended with her daughter spending the rest of her life in jail. Amy Tan's reaction, of course, was to find out if what her mother told her was true, and she was surprised to discover that the actual event was far less interesting than her mother's story. Tan, a Chinese-American raised in California, has now written a novel about Chinese mothers and their American daughters, The Joy Luck Club. The idea for the book, says Tan, grew out of a conversation she once had with her mother. When I started to write, um, it was about the time that my mother turned 70, and she had said to me one day, I'm getting old now. If I die, what would you remember? And I, at the time, said, well, I'd remember all kinds of things, um, but you're not going to die, and, you know, but if, you know, later on, I would remember many things because you're my mother. And she just looked at me and and said, I think you know little percent of me. Hmm. And I remembered that later on when she had um, been hospitalized in intensive care and with an apparent heart attack. And I thought at that time that here I'm going to lose my mother and I'm going to lose all the things that she wanted me to know about her. Um, Well, it turned out that she didn't have a heart attack. She was fine. But at the time, I thought, if my mother lives, I will take her to China. I will get to know her. I will meet my sisters for the first time. And she turned out to be fine, so I fulfilled that promise. And I took her to China and met my sisters. And I decided I wanted to see what I did know about my mother. And that's what I wrote in the book. So you, like one of the characters in the book, uh, had have Chinese sisters, sisters in China that you that you had never known. Yes, I had actually three sisters that I had never met before. They're not twins as they are in the book. And they were sisters, however, that were my mother was forced to abandon in 1949 um, and lost contact with for over 30 years. Um, she did not leave them on a road in Guilin, as, as described in the book, but she did, she was cut off from them. Did you feel, once you set out to really know your mother, did you begin to feel that you, that you did know her more than a little percent? <laughs> I was surprised at how much I remembered, um, because when I was growing up and she'd tell me things, little stories or, or advice, I always had didn't want to listen to her, but I must have been listening with at least one ear, because it 
stayed in my memory. And as I was writing, all these memories started to come back. And I remembered things she said about her mother or about herself growing up in China. And I remembered the advice she gave me when I was growing up and how I had heard it one way. And now remembering it, I heard it another way. Hmm. Um, And after I wrote the book, a lot of my friends said to me, you must have done a lot of research to write this book. And I said, my research was my mother. Hmm. Um, And it, it made me feel that there was a lot in me that had been planted there that was Chinese, and I'd just been denying it for so many years. Well, the book in one way is very universal in that it speaks to certain universal truths about mothers and daughters, and yet in another way it's very specifically Chinese. Uh, how does that flavor that your, your heritage? How does it flavor the, the mother-daughter relationship? How does it make it different? I think that there is sometimes a confusion um, that the conflicts might be more cultural rather than generational. That if I disagreed with my mother about something, it was because she was old-fashioned in Chinese, not simply because she was my mother. And what I found as a, that surprised me after the book was written it is, the, as you mentioned, so many readers have said to me, this is how it was between uh, me and my mother. And these are people who um, are not Chinese, um, but maybe um, children of immigrants and also people who do not have parents who were immigrants. So there is, a, I think, that universality. But I think, for me, it was a tendency to think that many more of these conflicts were culturally based. Hmm. Well, part of what's fascinating about the book, and just the pure joy of reading it, is the Chinese mythology and symbolism and the folk tales that seem to be there. I mean, did you just grow up with them? I grew up with a mother who naturally talked in a narrative storytelling manner. She didn't sit down and tell me whole stories, but she would say very provocative lines like, um, oh, once when my grandmother was dying, my mother took a knife and cut a piece of meat from her arm and boiled this meat in a soup and fed it to her mother to try to save her one last time. But it didn't work. She died that day. And she would just say these little gems that would fill my imagination with a whole scene in China. And that's what I would take. I would take these little nuggets and and expand a story from them. And, of course, you use that exact story in the book, and it gives you one of the sort of central images of the book, I think. And I wonder if you could read a passage about it on page 48. It comes uh, just after what you described happens in the book, where a woman takes a piece of her flesh and puts it into a soup to try and save her mother. The passage begins, Even though I was young. Okay. Even though I was young, I could see the pain of the flesh and the worth of the pain. This is how a daughter honors her mother. It is show so deep, it is in your bones. The pain of the flesh is nothing, the pain you must forget, because sometimes that is the only way to remember what is in your bones. You must peel off your skin and that of your mother and her mother before her until there is nothing, no scar, no skin, no flesh. What does that mean to you, that, that idea that your mother is in your bones? There is so much that we don't see that has been given to us, and it's in our character, but it's almost a sense that no matter how much 
we try to run away from that, it is within us and, and cannot um, be taken away. The other part is that once you recognize that, you must go deep within yourself, so deep that it removes all the pains of, of years of misunderstanding, of, of both a psychic pain and a physical pain, and that you would go to that length to show that respect and that love that you have for a mother. The, the bond and the connection is, is something almost inexpressible, but it is, it is there within your bones. Writer Amy Tan. Her new novel is The Joy Luck Club. And that's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. Let us know what you think. You can write to us at bookoftheday at npr.org. I'm Andrew Limbong. The podcast is produced by Miranda Mazariegos and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Alejandra Marquez-Jans, Lexi Shaptil, Megan Kane, Monty Corana, Milton Guevara, Lily Quiroz, Samantha Balaban, Ravenna Koenig, and Emiko Tamagawa. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to viore.com slash NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. When voters talk during an election season, we listen. We ask questions, we follow up, and we bring you along to hear what we learned. Get closer to the issues, the people, and your vote at the NPR Elections Hub. Visit npr.org elections.